It's been a minute, hasn't it? But we're back doing three film features celebrating the work of the Universal Monsters because that was the theme of the month of October for this year. So we're going to be talking Creature from the Black Lagoon. We're going to be talking this island earth. And to round things off, let's head over to Germany for a hundred-year-old film called Nosferatu. Love these characters, love talking about these ones, so check out this rendition of Three Film Feature. Well, happy Halloween, everybody, and welcome to the first chapter in the month that's going to be the Universal Monsters Month. We're going to be looking back in this format, Horrific Tales, other formats, including big podcast episodes, just talking about the Universal Monsters at large. These evergreen characters and concepts that people love. Some of them of course, date back before Universal existed. Others are intrinsically connected to that identity and will always be that brand they do nothing with. So in order to talk about something so popular, I wanted to start with one I love more than any other. You know, I go back and forth on like my top three. I think my top three, Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, maybe resting at number one, is Creature from the Black Lagoon. So I was like, well, let's talk about him first. Let's talk about his original film from 1954, kind of spanning out the later half of those movies. You have all like the real original ones earlier on, kind of in like the 40s, moving up to the 50s. And there's kind of like that break where it's like, hey, everybody's meeting everybody. The sequels are coming out. We should try something new. We haven't really touched water yet. Let's try a water one. Creature from the Black Lagoon. So, I have seen this movie before, more than once. It's one that I actively go back to. But doing it for this channel, I really focus on, like, one thing that I love, and that is just everything about this film. This is my favorite... I, I See, I say favorite Lucy because I don't know what my favorite Universal Monster movie is, but this is one of my favorite movies ever made. I think the pacing is fantastic. What it accomplishes in 80 minutes is unreal. It's something that a lot more modern movies should focus on because you get character beats, tense moments, quiet moments, everything building up to the suspenseful ending so elegantly in 80 minutes. It's amazing. So what is this film? What is it? You might be watching this like, well, what is the creature from the Black Lagoon? You know the Frankenstein story, you know the Dracula story. Well, this old kind of like I guess he's an archaeologist or just some guy that digs and is a historian in that kind of sense. He's at this site in the Amazon. He finds this big old webbed hand sticking out of a rock. And he goes to, like, I guess just some rich, expensive guy who works in that industry. He's like, we should get an expedition down there to see if there's more things like this in the area. It'd be the scientific discovery of the century. Because this could be, like, they use a couple of analogies. Like, this could be the link leading us from fish to humans. Like the evolutionary link showing us that we did become human, like we evolved from fish. And they do that because the opening narration is like, this is the earth before man was created. It's just fish. God created us though. Don't forget, God created the heavens and the earth and then fish evolved on that earth. That is what the opening says. And I'm like, that is so counterintuitive, man. I respect you for doing that. Like, what a weird establishing thing to say. So this, like, creature potentially could be the thing that links us from fish to humanity. We get an expedition of some of your favorite characters. We have 
David, the leading man who takes his shirt off halfway through the film and never puts it back on. You have Mark, the one that's kind of similar to David, but he's the one funding the operation and he's blonde. You have Dr. Carl, the old man who discovers the hand. You have Lucas, who is the sea captain who owns the boat and is very much a stereotypical sea captain. You have the girl, Kay, played by Julia Adams, who is phenomenal in this movie. Look, a lot of these earlier films in this genre, it's all about the female character. It's about kind of like this lust, the beauty and the beast thing, kind of going back to the King Kong stuff. Even as going back, I guess, to the creation of Frankenstein being like an anti-male story, that's kind of what this is too. The male characters are these brutish things that could destroy the women. I really like Kay in this movie. She has some really fun energy, and Julia is getting the chance to do a lot more. She does scream every time she sees the creature, and the men are like, you should stay back on the boat and not do anything. She does just like kiss David a lot too, but she has agency. She is like, I'm fine getting on this boat. I have no problem being in a dangerous situation. She's having fun. She's willing to do her own thing independently of everybody else, willing to commit to her own things and doing that kind of stuff. That's really cool to see. That's something a little bit different. So we have those people in our crew. We also have just some random people that if they get killed, you're not going to miss them. Because that's the point, isn't it? It's a horror feature. These characters were built in horror and science fiction. We're going to unexplored depths to hunt this creature down, study it even. Mixed signals get crossed. Are we going to save it? Are we going to study it? Are we going to kill it? And like, just become heroes and legends for doing it? It's epic, man. And the thing is, like, it's a simple premise, but it's the small moments where the characters are allowed to grow. David's entire bit is like, we need to preserve this creature and study its environment to see how it is living, how it is doing. He is the protagonist and our hero throughout most of the story, but he is far from the like antagonizing force towards the creature. He never actively puts it in harm's way. Like There are characters that shoot it with harpoons. There are characters that shoot it with guns. He might shoot it once with a harpoon, but he's never one that's like, we need to kill this thing. That's never his intention throughout any of it. At the very end of the movie, he lets the creature sulk away back into the depths. And I'm like, that is kind of fun. Just letting him be like, I'm going to be the hero and the good guy. I'm going to get in the water to be a shirtless, brooding 50s man just diving in looking crazy. That's awesome. I really like he does that. And then Mark being opposed to him is like, we need to kill this thing. I like that. There's like the environmental aspect, the animal hunting aspect, all those things you can play into, which are prevalent in those things because that's also the kind of thing like preserving this creature that is not really the villain, but is still kind of the villain. This one, I think more than others, is like actively the villain in some ways. I like I like Gilman, the creature. He's really fun. But you can look at people like Frankenstein as like the sore, the sad story. And you can look at Wolfman as like a creature of habit who is conditioned to do this. This is just more like people are in my swamp and I'm going to kill them. Yes, we actively try to pursue it and kill it, but still something about that I really enjoy. One of the other things I just, I'm blown away by is just the camera work in this movie. It is just so closed quarters, which I love to see a lot of POV shots, which are fantastic. But what really just amazes me is the underwater shots, just looking that perfect and clear. And yes, there are moments where the camera is a little foggy or a little blurry and there's bubbles blocking everything. It's intentional because this film in this era, I think more than a lot of others is like, the suspense is not seeing the creature full on. You're going to see it full on a lot and it's going to look awesome. But when you're just seeing like a hand touching you or a face moving through the weeds or something reaching through a porthole, it is scary and intense. Just seeing big webbed footprints all over the place 
it's intense and it's kind of crazy. So I guess we should talk a little bit about the creature. We have a full suit built and it is rubbery. And when it's walking on land, you can see it actually breathing like its neck moves and its gills move. It looks fantastic. The thing I want to say is too, we, we, you couldn't do this movie today in this style because we wouldn't allow ourselves to have the suspense of this, just slowly building up to the creature. And look, it doesn't look the most terrifying. The face doesn't move. The neck doesn't move. But when you see it, it's kind of creepy. It is scary. Like the scale work is phenomenal. The eyes are what really sell because there's moments where it's in like the depths of the water. You don't see the eyes, but when it comes on to land, the eyes become more prominent and featured and you just, you're staring at them like, oh, this thing is a fish and a human. When it's in the water, it moves like a fish. It's not like its body is stoic. Its limbs are flailing around. I love that we actually get to see it move. I still think that's a feat of work because you wouldn't normally see it move like that. If this was just like a cheaper budget or literally like a decade earlier, you wouldn't get to see the creature flail around like that in actual water. The fact that we had a guy in the suit willing to dive into these depths just looked like a dumbass flopping around but also be terrifying is very impressive like the colors if you see like an, a rendered version of the colors they look great but in black and white i think it always adds a little bit more horror because then there's like the deniable pl plausibility where if it's too realistic or like too colorful you're like oh that obviously looks fake it can be scarier when it's in black and white and that's what it does here Oh, it looks great. I just love the way this design moves and the way it looks when the creature just starts walking on land and its whole body is stiff when it's just like, I'm going to throw this gun or I'm going to knock something out of sight. It is so stiff. But when it's in the water, it's moving and moving and moving so fast and so loose. And I think that's awesome. Just seeing the way that works is such a cool concept, such a cool thing to experience. I really like this movie. The underwater shots will never cease to amaze me. I think it looks phenomenal. I really like the close-up shots too, and there's some really good dialogue in here. It doesn't overstay its welcome either, where it's trying too hard to sound dramatic or intense or crazy or anything like that. Everybody has their moments to learn a lesson. You see the captain of the ship stick up for himself when someone's trying to tell him no. He pulls out a knife. He's like, oh yeah, well... When I, we're on the water, I'm in charge. You see, again, David's whole thing is fantastic. Mark is a very fun character, too. Because, like, you always have to have, like, the rich guy who's like, we can exploit this for money. And then he kind of learns his lesson in the end. He's like, well, I guess we shouldn't try to, like, capture this thing. And we should try to escape because survival is more important. Ultimately, he dies, of course. But it's a fantastic scene. And it just looked amazing. But one of my favorite sequences, I think, in film history, something I always think about, it's kind of what you emulate on the poster when you have Julia Adams there and you have the creature. When she is, like, swimming in the water just by herself, of course, this is an inspiration for guys like John Carpenter, Guillermo del Toro, Steven Spielberg, like... Just that woman alone in the water and we're seeing this creature get closer and closer and the music builds and it swells and all that beautiful, you know, just like orchestra just building up to it. I love the score in this too. It sounds so orchestral and old. It's awesome. And I love the sequence where the creature's hand tries to touch the girl getting really close when she's swimming just above the water and it's below her and just moving along, staring up at her, looking at this thing of beauty. It is so cool. And it looks so incredible. And the water sequences, they shouldn't look as good as they do, but they are so strong, so elegant. 
it's there's some beauty to it, and that's the thing I like about it too. Especially when it leans into more like that. This is a creature that's trying to either save or have the woman, depending on how you look at it. When it captures her, takes her through the lagoon back to its secret base. It is beautiful in a way. I like that, and it is a formidable foe too. Like it actually strangles people to death, which is just awesome to see. But everything about creature from the Black Lagoon, it works on so many conceivable levels what we're doing for character work where people learn their lesson where it turns into this escalating build of this creature where it's just like here's a hand here's a face here's the full body shot here's just like destroyed ropes here's all these different creatures that we don't really understand and then boom there it is and it's crazy and it's just falling in love with this woman and then you just have a bunch of shirtless men diving into the water trying to spear it oh i just love this film this is one I always go back to. It's one I enjoy so much. It just makes me so happy to see this kind of film that is so set in its ways, but the ways are all working. This exact script, this exact direction style, this exact format can be made today. I know there's been a number of people trying to remake the creature. You should do it because it works well in this movie, this movie. The acting is phenomenal. The story is phenomenal. Everything works in so many levels. I really think Creature from the Black Lagoon is one of the highlights of this era. And it all starts with simple premise because everybody knows we're all afraid of the water. It's just something we haven't really explored. They talk even about outer space in this, like there's a whole world in the stars we don't know, but we know even less about the depths of the water on our planet. Two things we're terrified of, what lurks beneath that, something that's not man, something that is not aquatic, something in between, a creature that walks among us, a creature that swims among us. It is terrifying. It is amazing. It is Creature from the Black Lagoon, and it is one of the best-looking films ever made, and one of the coolest concepts to kick off our Halloween exploration. I cannot wait to get more into these, but this one is fantastic, and Julia Adams, a great Great actress in a great role for her. Really, really dig this one. As we continue our adventure through the world of the universal monsters in this month of monsters, we're taking a weird turn. This is kind of like the forgotten child of the universal monsters catalog. This island earth, it is more science fiction-y than it is like the horror, grotesque, gothic feel of some of the other ones. So it doesn't like distinctively fit into the bubble of what people are thinking when it's the Universal Monsters, but the mutant does kind of fit into the umbrella. So I want to talk about it because this film fucking rips, man. I love this movie. It is so stupid and so cool at the same time. It's exactly like why I made this show, like Movie Tales to talk about these things because I just love old school science fiction where everything is over the top, everything is chaotic, makes very little sense, but you would love it anyways. I'm obsessed with this movie. And going back and rewatching a lot of these older Universal Monster flicks, I just realized, man, this is so my energy. Just a bunch of people with bambostic voices doing weird shit and I love it. So this movie, let's kind of break down the plot of this film because right away I can tell you, the Technicolor looks fantastic. The cinematography looks fantastic. I love the exterior shots of outer space because you can see the wire sometimes and I love when you see like a wire or a string holding the ship up. Makes me so happy. But we start with Rex Reason, the actor who plays Cal Meacham, Rex Reason, which is the greatest name I've ever heard in my life. 
If my name was Rex Reason, I could do anything I ever wanted to because that is the coolest any name has ever sounded ever. He is this scientist who, for some reason, the laboratory he works for, they gave him an actual jet that he could fly to his places. So the movie starts and he's flying in his jet and he's landing next to his laboratory. But some weird green lights start to infect his plane. He loses control. It helps him land perfectly. And because of that, some weird unknown entity sends him this weird, like, bead conductor. So the movie starts because this guy's plane is doing weird stuff. He's got the deepest voice you've ever heard out of anybody in the history of acting. And that is, like, the coolest thing in the world is his voice. Rex Reason, you talk like a genius. I love it. But he's got, like, this really stupid bead conductor. And the bead conductor is just this part of a big the conductor whatever the hell that you can build and you get like this certain book that's not made of paper the book itself is made of metal you can flip it and you can build this weird device thing they call it like an inanator an antenator or something and what you build is this really stupid screen and instead of buttons it's got like a turning wheel and a triangle like face timing device and when you use the face timing device you get a hold of exeter and exeter is this guy with a big head and he's like hey you built the secret device that we were telling people to build. You're one of the elite people that we can choose to come on our secret mission to help with nuclear stuff. Why don't you come to this, like, secret laboratory and we can start working on a bunch of cool shit? And, of course, being the guy meets you miss, he's like, well, how could I say no to that? Like, look at this weird thing they built that they destroyed with the same device that built it. I love this. I'm going to go to this lab. That is how this movie starts. The first 30 minutes of this movie are that. And this is like an 85-minute film. The first like half hour is just this guy in his lab with his, like I guess, like student or his lab partner or his assistant who looks older than him and is constantly talking about his wife and kid. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? This is so bizarre. But I love the big device they build. I love just a big lab with a bunch of boxes and crates in it. He goes to this weird lab, meets a bunch of other people, one of them including the only woman we see on screen. And that is Ruth Adams. And, um... They might have a history, they might have a history that could be, like, talked about a bit, but it's all a ruse because this entire facility that Exeter is running, it looks like it's got a bunch of old guys with really big heads. And look, it is the 50s and it's cheesy, but the big heads look really fun. I love seeing a big head and it's like, yeah, that makeup looks pretty good. Like, the prosthetics, it feels like a big head. He can't really move his face, but that's okay. Because he's an alien, yeah, I'll, I'll bear the lead, he's an alien. And you see that Ruth and Carlson, who's another guy that's there, they get Cal to like help them figure out, like, okay, something is weird about this. They only got, like, nuclear scientists to figure this out. And we're in this weird lab, and they're spying on us. We found, like, this weird place that they've, like, built in the side of a mountain. We should go investigate it. And this entire time, you're just like, okay... You're selling this movie on the, the mutant. Where's the mutant? And we spend a long time without the mutant. And I understand how in contemporary audiences, this looks like it's a boring slog. But this is the shit I love. Just a bunch of people standing in a room with medium shots, just talking about dumb shit. I love that. I love just extended shots of Exeter talking to his like friend Brack. And, like, that is a huge difference in name, by the way. Exeter to Brack. Like, those those don't sound like they'd be from the same race, but they are. And it's just talking, like, can we trust them? Who knows what we could do? We'll see what happens. And I'm like, this is just so completely my shit, man. I love this. 
I love an awkward dinner, a bunch of scientists, and one guy's like, this isn't normal. What are we doing here? This is crazy. I love old school 3D effects when you're driving or you're flying a plane. I love old school laser effects that shoot them off the road and it blows up Carlson. You know, I'm just kind of putting it together because Richard Carlson and Julia Adams were the names of the people in Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is the last one we talked about. I wonder if this is like an homage, because it's like a year after that film, if they're like, hey, we're going to name the characters after the actors in Creature, because Universal needs another hit, and this is like our new generation. I doubt that's what's happening, but it could be, you know, it's a little too, too on the nose not to be what happened, you know? Either way, I love it. I think it is fun. So the big reveal is Exeter and his people... They have a spaceship. They <laughs> Meacham flies like a an actual plane off the ground. It gets sucked up in a spaceship, and they're like, "Hey, uh, you survived some really crazy trials. Uh, everyone else is dead, <laughs> so we're going to take you to Metaluna." And you're like, "Okay, that's fun." And again, this is about an hour into the movie, and it's again 85 minutes. And the first half hour, we see Meacham is deciding if he's going to go to this weird resort with Exeter. He gets there, the next little half hour is like, okay, this is weird, something normal is not going on in this island, we gotta figure out what that is. And then it's like, boom, spaceship, we're off Earth in like 10 seconds. We get into space in 10 seconds, it's like, here, look out our big telescope, you can see the Earth moving behind us. It's not spinning, it's just moving. You can put on these weird jumpsuits, and we'll put like a, you in like a weird tube. I, I, I'm just starting to like, as now being like somebody who does critique film and stuff, I just have to mention as, as like an actor where they're like, hey, you're going to stand on this one platform and if you move slightly to the left or right, a tube's going to drop on you. That would be very annoying. And I think I would hate that immensely. But I got to say the tube effects are great. I love a good tube effect, you know, and I, I always like when they try to make a new technology for like a species where it's like similar to humans, but it's different. Like there's stupid fucking chairs where it's like the armrests are like up here and the ass is like down there. Or they just use like pinwheels to turn everything to make things work. I love that. But not nah, good tube technology. I love myself some good tube technology where it just falls down, smoke fills up, and it changes your body. You get like a beautiful x-ray shot where you see their muscles and their skeletons that are glowing. And I love it. Like this is... This is my type of science fiction. I'm looking at this movie. This entire time I'm watching this movie. And I'm just like, I want this to be made today. This exact film, this exact plot updated a little bit. I think it still holds up like the hidden chemistry, the hidden romance, the actual like change of pace where it's like, no, nah, we're in space now. Our planet is literally collapsing. We are going to move to Earth. It, they, they say that in like five minutes. And I'm like, we don't do that anymore. We'd flush this shit out way too much. Give too much backstory to the Metaluna people. We don't need that shit. You can just do like a quiet story and just make it so subtle where it's like, no, our planet is dying. We're in a war with the Zygons. They're trying to blast us in space when we get back to our planet. It's a long story. We don't have to get into it. Basically, what remains of our people, we're trying to get you to like, you know, get us to there. We need your help to, with your nuclear power to make us the leaders of your world. And then when we get there, everything's going to be hunky-dory. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I buy that. I like that kind of premise, just a simple, dry, lazy, just execution of these are big-headed people that look human, they're going to come and take over our planet. I can dig that completely, and you just, <laughs> you just, 
Cal and Ruth are like, what are you talking about? This planet is insane. And it, I, there's like a few pieces of dialogue where like you see the Exeters explain the planets like, that's where we had our education complex. And over there was our recreational center. I'm like, recreational center? That close to your, like, that is so bizarre. It's like, it's Krypton. This is Krypton. They're doing like their Krypton thing. And it is so bizarre to me. But yes, this is a Universal Monsters movie. There is a Universal Monster that we can talk about, and it is the Metaluna mutant who they describe as like a bug, but bigger. And it looks awesome. It is grotesque and freaky and has so many great designs on it, this great power to it. I love the way its arms just hang to its side and the weird pinchers it has, the big bulbous head. The colors are fantastic. It, to me, is the most over-designed of all these classic monsters, but that's what makes it special, where it's like literally nothing else looks like this. It's an alien. It's one of the only ones that's like distinctively, realistically an alien. And it's such a cool design. It walks slow. It's just so dumb. It dies within seconds of being on screen. Don't expect this being like they're being chased by a monster. This is at the very end. We had a little bit extra money in our budget, so we're going to attack on this big monster that's going to try to attack you. It looks awesome, and it's fun. It does some It does some tube stuff, and I love some tube stuff where it screams at the girl while it's in the tube. I love that. That's some fun tube stuff. And you know what? Metaluna explodes. They go back to Earth. Everything's fine. It's like, whoa. Uh, just, it's so quick because it's just like, okay, the guy gets this weird message in a weird portal thing. He gets on a plane, goes to this facility. Within 10 minutes, they're like, okay, space now. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I love when movies just do that. No time to breathe. Everyone's got an intense voice. Yes, there are some hiccups with like the woman character screaming every moment. But I'm like, that is the time I understand it. She's actually a doctor, not just like a doctor's assistant in this. Like she is as revered as the rest of them. So that is something. And there was a couple of lines that I really loved in here where they like first get inside the tube again. Great tube action. And you see Cal Meacham's like, well, this feels like a new toothbrush or it feels like I'm a new toothbrush. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, when, like, it feels good on your teeth or something. It was weird. And then later on, we were trying to realize if they can trust Exeter. And he's like, I don't know about this Exeter, but I wouldn't trust my grandma in a place like this. Why? <laughs> I love this movie. This is my kind of old school science fiction. Really dumb technology and just big hollow rooms. There's a bunch of people in dumb suits screaming at each other, telling you, like, why their planet's falling apart. Overly complicated science fiction that's not complicated at all. And a big dumb alien at the last second to just add tension. I love this. Like, this is my kind of thing. This Island Earth, which is a great title for any movie, just may be one of my favorites we've covered on this channel so far, Movie Tales. But man, that's a hard thing to do because a lot of these old school sci-fis are fantastic. I highly recommend checking this one out. It's on YouTube. I watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube. A lot of these old movies are on YouTube. This is one of them. And now we round out our Universal Monsters Month with a film that is not a Universal production. <laughs> but the character has kind of been grouped into it. And I, I just wanted to talk about the film. Because I, I don't know what else I'm going to get the chance to talk about Nosferatu. That's what we're doing. Nosferatu today. To end the Halloween season, we are talking about Nosferatu, the German film that is based on Bram Stoker's Dracula, but changes the names enough where it could do its own thing without being trapped in the idea of what Dracula is. So I'm like, cool, man. That's fun. 
Now, if you are like me, you are a person of a certain generation where your first exposure to the character of Nosferatu was probably the episode of Spongebob where the character is flicking the lights. That's how I knew the character originally, and it scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Just like the idea of that weird-looking man standing somewhere freaked me out. As I grew up, I learned more about the character, and I've never fully sat down to watch the entire piece. I've seen snippets, I have seen clips. It's one of those films I've always known about in my mind. I've had the cultural awareness of it, where it's pretty much I knew everything about it. But it was only today that I got to sit down and actually watch the whole thing. There are different lengths of this film. Depending on what remaster and restoration you watch, it could be an hour to 90 minutes, right? So I watched the one from 97, I do believe, was when this happened. Or it could even be later, actually, when they did the restoration for this. But this film was originally shot in 1922. So it's 100 years old. What a great way... To wrap up this Halloween season with a century-old film, just think in a hundred years when people will be talking about this stuff again, they'll be doing this, but for Barbarian. That's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? So we have our first big horror film of all time, pretty much, in Nosferatu. That kind of, like, hit the cultural relevance in a huge way, right? It was actually terrifying. This film, I think more than any other horror movie we've talked about, actually scared me. I can't explain it because there's really nothing scary happening in the film, just what it's presenting freaks me out a lot. So, I've talked about a couple other silent films on the channel before. This might be the third silent film we're talking about. Easily my favorite of the three. The thing is, maybe it's because I just have such like a connection to the Bram Stoker name, to the Dracula identity, that anytime we play in that world, I get excited. Maybe that's just what this is. But I think it's just because, man, it looks great. It takes itself super seriously. It's trying so hard. That works. It is a silent film, like I said, meaning the performances are dramatic. Everything is over the top. There is word bubbles for you to read that appear on screen. You're like, here is the talking part. Here's the words they're saying. There's also a lot of scripture, <laughs> and it's surprising. A couple of things that very much surprised me is the amount of, like, talks about like from a narrative like there is a narrator describing the events to you as like the using like the first person like I me it's very interesting I thought that was such a unique idea that I guess makes sense for this time period especially when you can't use actual dialogue you are presenting the story as it was written so that's kind of an, a fun concept to play with but then you see literal like depictions from books and stuff and I'm like oh man is a person from today's audience that isn't, like, ingrained in this stuff going to have the patience for this film? That's a whole other topic I kind of want to get into later. Just, like, can today's child watch a silent film? Can they be engrossed with what's on screen enough for that to happen? Personally, I don't think so. But it's because I'm different that this worked for me. And I really just liked the use of it. And the thing I was, like, the words all sound great. They are so prolific and big. They're big words and they're talking about this beautiful stuff. I love the term death ship. I thought that was such a cool idea when he's traveling abroad. It was just so intense and riveting, and I loved it. So you're probably thinking, what is the plot of Nosferatu? Well, the characters are kind of based on the works of Bram Stoker's Dracula. The names are changed. We are following the lead, Thomas Hutter. And he's like this estate agent, and they get a call from this guy in Transylvania, Count Orloff, and he's like, hey... I think I'm going to buy, like, the property of land in your town. Can you have somebody, like, help me and tell me about it? So this guy named Nock, who's, like, the real estate agent, 
sends Hutter overseas to go talk to this Count Orloff. And you're like, that is so specific and weird. Like, it's, there's nothing scary about that premise. If anything, it makes no sense where you're going to send a guy on a boat just to go get this guy to see a house. It's very weird. But this man, Thomas, he also has a beautiful wife, this pretty figure that is going to haunt our lead for a while now. It's kind of weird. And look, there's a lot of themes in this story that we could explore. Things about love and sin and the idea of madness and God. And it does take some inspiration from classic vampire stuff. But the thing I really wasn't expecting to be a huge component of this movie, again, it's not a film I've seen all of at once. So I, I, I knew there was the connection with like the rats and the Dracula stuff, but just the idea of Orlov presenting the plague was really weird. Like it just caught me off guard a minute. I was like, whoa, we're dealing with the plague theme a lot in this story. I guess it's still kind of fresh in people's mind at the time because this film 1922 based on a novel in 1897 that takes place in 1838 there are still people who are around that are familiar with like surviving that the same way people today would treat a covid story you know i think that's very fascinating but i was like wow we're really dealing with this a lot and oh my goodness, later on in the story when it's like, okay, Transylvania is wiped out from the plague, it spreads back to wherever the hell we are in the world. I, I can't remember where they said that this guy's based out of, but the way they're like, okay, everybody get inside and quarantine, stay there now, the plague is coming, don't interact outside, don't be outside, stay away from people, don't touch anybody. I was like, oh my god, we have learned nothing in our lives, have we? That was amazing. Like, that entire idea really shook me in ways I wasn't expecting. It might just be because of post-COVID post -COVID loosely world. But I was like, oh, man, that was not what I was expecting from this story. And you're probably here like, just talk about Orlov. That's what we're here for. Orlov is... Well, we'll get to Orlov. But that's like the least interesting part of the film to me because, like, yeah, the plague stuff freaked me out. The way everybody is just, like, concerned about, like a disease coming to them was so interesting to me. That stuff just was so gripping and fascinating. And then we have Thomas Land in Transylvania, and he he's, like, warned by the people of the town, like, that guy's a freak, you should not go see him. And this is what I'm going to say. I've talked about a couple horror films on this channel. I don't get scared very easily. The stuff that freaks me out, I've talked about a lot, is people standing very still and open doors. And that is everything Orloff does in this movie. It's terrifying. There's a few scenes throughout the entirety that freaked me out where I'm like, I hate what I'm seeing here. Yes, it's in these weird sepia colors that don't really add anything. And today's audience might not be scared about that. But the scenes that freaked me out, there's two that come to mind when I think about it. The one at the dinner table when Hutton, when Hutter is eating with Orloff and he cuts his finger accidentally and then you see Orloff like, oh, you don't want to waste that precious blood. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then Orloff follows him into the next room as he's freaking out. That scared me because I'm like, oh, I hate a strange looking man who's so crouched together with big shoulders up, just his arms out in this weird position, big weird face. That freaks me out so much. That scares me more than anything. That guy just following you, trying to suck your finger is a literal nightmare for me. I hate the idea of people watching me do anything. Good thing I'm in the public eye, isn't it? <laughs> that was so scary. And then he's like, 
I'm just going to retreat to my room. Goodbye. And then later on in another day, when he sees Orloff down the hall through his door, and he's just like, I'm going to hide under my blanket so I don't have to look at this guy. And he just appears in the room. That is terrifying. I hate that. Again, I hate door stuff. Door stuff freaks me out so much. Just seeing somebody through a series of doors watching you is enough to scare me for life. I hate that. That was very scary. And then the plan is, I guess, Orlov has some weird connection to Thomas's wife. And he's like, I got to go see this broad because I'm buying your house next door to you. So he puts himself, you see like a the footage is sped up, of course, because it's very cool that way. He's putting himself in a coffin. He's about to get on a boat. You see a couple guys. I love the scene on the docks where these guys are examining the crates and they open one and a bunch of dirt spills out because he needs dirt in order to actually sleep. He needs to sleep on his birth soil. It's freaking sweet. It is sweet. That was so cool. And then he just gets overseas and everything is just insane and the plague hits and COVID and everything's so crazy. It's beautiful. Look, it's the acting's over the top, but that's the point. People have huge reactions. People are in very stiff moments and, and movements. It's very fun to see. But the use of just camera work and shadows, I don't think we've done anything this impressive in this format in a long time. You know the, you know the scene I'm talking about? It's the thumbnail where it's like the shadow walking up the steps and putting its hand on the girl and reaching down to caress her. Oh my God, is it beautiful? Like... We don't do that today. With today's technology, we're not making anything that looks that freaking good. It's insane. And the fact that this design, this Nosferatu design, is still scary. That's an A+. Like, it's actually terrifying. This guy is weird. He's going to hurt you. I love it. I genuinely think it's impressive and very cool stuff to see. Everything about this film hit all the right notes for me. You know, it was scary. The silent film stuff, which is hard to get into, especially when you are not in the right mood for it, it's hard to focus on. It all worked great. Everything felt beautiful. Everything was shot beautifully. The color shifts will upset a lot of younger people. If you're watching some of the restored stuff, it switches from a yellow to a blue to a pinkish color. And that just happens, but this film's 100 years old. When you're 100, you'd be lucky to look as good as this does. I think it's really impressive. Everything about this worked for me. I was terrified, <laughs> and that's kind of cool, and his message is still relevant today, don't trust a rat, don't trust a weird foreign guy, they'll probably just burn in the sunlight the moment they step foot in it, the dude was so horny, he burned the minute, the minute he saw this girl, he burned and forgot who he was, that's kind of cool, that is love, <laughs> but no man, that's horrific tales, because Nosferatu is how we are going to cap off the wondrous world that is the monsters of old horror, the universal monsters, why not end with one that's not one, a German film that hates Dracula and won't use his name, it's beautiful isn't it, kind of fun. So thank you guys for watching this rendition of Movie Tales. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And as always, I will catch you in the next one. Have fun. Stay safe. Good luck.